1: Visit sharkfloorcoatings.com when you need professional floor coating services done right the first time.
2: Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus.
1: Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join
2: Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation.
1: The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Coming at you Monday night, Monday after Florida. Gets taken down by Tennessee. Joining me for this episode is co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site, Read and Reaction. Will, man, we made him sweat at the end. It may not have looked like it was going to be a uh, you know one of one of those dramatic endings for Florida Tennessee, uh, but we get the dramatic ending. Florida falls just short, but it looked like it was well out of hand. It looked like Tennessee was kind of getting comfortable and themselves in Neyland Stadium, but. You know, we, we made them sweat one more time, and they they come out on the top, on, come out on top this time.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's glass half full, glass half empty type stuff. Right? Yeah. I mean you see the Richardson performance and go, okay, that's what we think we can get. Now we just have to be more consistent. You see the defense and you go, oh boy, there's a lot of work to do. <laughs> you see the uh, the fourth down calls and the two point conversion calls, which we'll get into and go, well, that's interesting. And then uh, you know, you see a Tennessee team that was really primed. To have this sort of performance, obviously the second year in Hypo system, Hooker comes over from Virginia Tech. He was good at Virginia Tech. He's been great at Tennessee. Um, He's going to be gone next year. And so this was their shot, right? This was their opportunity. And I think, again, it goes back to that glass half full, glass half empty. You never like to lose to Tennessee, but it's the second time it's happened in the last 18 years. Every once in a while you're going to lose in a rebuilding year to lose to them at for it to only be by five points. And really, you know, before the Richardson fumble, Florida was right there um, considering that they couldn't stop anybody. I I, I don't really know, you know, Napier after the game said, there's no moral victories. That was one of the things in the title of my article as well. There are no moral victories, right? I mean, you got to actually win the game when you get to that position, but there's a lot to come out of this game with where you say there's something to build on. And and I think that's encouraging for anybody who's a Florida fan that there is that baseline. If they had gone out and gotten beaten by 45 and Richardson had looked had looked like he did against Kentucky. Yeah. I mean it would be such a different vibe even though the record is the exact same, right? And and so all the different things that have sort of lined up um, I think lead us to be encouraging. It was a fun game even even though Florida lost. And so now the question is Can you build on that and improve on that moving forward? Or do you end up being the team you've kind of been the first four games of the year where you're really, really inconsistent week to week? And if that's the case, well, then everybody who picked them at 6-6 and may end up being right. And you've got really no shot against Georgia. But if you can build... Well, now all of a sudden, you know, that you're going to have opportunities in some of these games where maybe we'd penciled in an L, and, you know, there might be an opportunity to steal one or two um, against some better teams. So, look, I mean, we knew coming into the season that Florida wasn't going to win a national championship. We knew they probably weren't going to win the SEC East. Um, Those are both pretty much out the window now (laughs) that they're 0 2 in the East against two folks who are, or two teams are going to be in front of them. Um, but you know, there's still stuff to play for. And I think the biggest thing to play for at this point is six and six, at least get into that bowl game, get those extra practices and, figure out what you have at different positions right and so that's we started that process i think in this tennessee game i think there are some people in this tennessee game who played who are going to be big parts of what billy napier builds on i think there are going to be people in this tennessee game who are not going to be parts of what billy napier builds on and uh you know it's important to find that out and you'd rather find it out in a season where you're probably not going to win anything than find it out you know in a shoe game against LSU in 2020, right? And and I think um, that's going to be the key is three years from now that that the discipline is there as opposed to sort of weeding that out right at this point.
1: Yeah, well, and, and the early season schedule has been really difficult, you know, kind of the theme of this episode or something we'll discuss this episode, you know, two and two for the Gators, with the, the it has been the hardest schedule in the country so far, and you look at the AP poll, of course. At the in look, maybe not the best barometer, but one of the only barometers we have to go by so far. And look, you're smart enough out there uh, as college football fans to know these teams Florida has played so far, and and how good are are, are these teams elite? No, absolutely not. You know, they're not Alabama. They're not Georgia level. And I've kind of said it going into this season, and well, I think I even said it, you know, on your preseason. Uh, the week before the season started, I was like, behind the top three, four teams in the country, it's a crapshoot. I mean, anybody from four to 40 uh, in any kind of rankings, you know, it can it's any given Saturday, uh, I think is probably a way to put it right there. Uh, but right now, you look at the AP poll, Florida has, you know, lost to number seven, Kentucky, and number eight, Tennessee, beat number 12, Utah. And three out of the four games, top 15 teams right there is it going to stay that way. Probably not. But at this, you know, going into the second month of the schedule, Florida's had four games, the toughest four game out of any college football program out there, all while in the transition, all while the first year head coach is figuring out his team, the team's figuring out him, they're figuring out all this along the way. And two and two, I think you ask a lot of people, some a lot of people would have predicted that. Some people were even predicting one and three. Some people were predicting three and one, four and zero. If you were on the optimistic side, then you play Utah, get that win. Then the three and one and four four and zero really, really came uh, to to the forefront of people's minds. Uh, But here we are, sitting at two and two, toughest schedule in the country so far. It does ease up, will it? it Really does ease up. And I think this has got to be a building block for Florida. You've got to take all these lessons you've learned from playing the hardest schedule in the hardest schedule in the country so far, and go and out there and you know we don't need one of those fall back down the competition performances versus Eastern Washington and, and Missouri as well. Florida's better than Missouri this year. Uh, there's you know, no no shame in saying that even through the first month of the season. But we, we, we've known struggles versus Missouri lately. We know last year uh, happened as well. Uh, and, you know, weird things happen when, when Florida plays Missouri. But that's a team, you know, with the way Florida is playing, You'd like to go out there and this, if you play the way on offense that you are capable of playing, that we saw versus Utah, that we saw versus Tennessee, you, you win that Missouri game. Now, you, know, you go to the other side of the ball <laughs> and you may keep Missouri in that ball game. So, well, I think you know, looking at it, especially for offense, you build off of that performance versus Tennessee. You take that and you build on it. You've got to take these four games and, and, and try and try and take some lessons out of uh, of the defensive side of the ball. And we'll get into to, to that a bit, too. Billy Napier has some things to say about that. But uh, this, this first month of the season, Will, a I, 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 I question and I wonder how much will it benefit Florida coming up?
3: Yeah, well, you got to give it to Billy Napier. He definitely makes sure everybody stays for all four quarters. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, the last couple of years at Louisiana had something like 16 or 17 one-score games. Every game this year has been a one-score game. I know Kentucky won by 10, but that's because they handed them a field goal at the yeah. end after going for it on fourth down. Um, you know, so every one of them has been you know, a play here, a play there, and all of a sudden the, the game goes in a different direction. Um, so to your point, it, the team could be 4-0. The team could also be, be 0-4. And <laughs> I think 2-2 two two is right. Right? I mean, you look at it, you say, yeah, 2-2 two is right for the way they've played. They've been outscored this year. You look at their offensive and defensive points, per, uh, predicted points added, or EPA or any of that sort of stuff, they're considered, they would be below average in the SEC, both both, uh, both offense and defense. Though, again, you got to factor in strength of schedule, I think, when you compare it, because otherwise you'd be like, oh, they're right there with Vanderbilt yeah. in terms of those statistics. <laughs> but those statistics matter, and you, you know they have been so inconsistent. On both sides of the ball, right? I mean, the defense plays pretty well against Kentucky, um, though Napier still doesn't trust the defense. And then <laughs> against Tennessee, they can't stop anybody. Can't stop USF. Can't stop Utah. The offense looks great against Utah, great against Tennessee, terrible against Kentucky and USF. The special teams have been spotty, especially bringing out kickoffs for you know in situations where you wouldn't think they would bring them out. And even then, getting holding penalties and getting pinned back an awful lot. And, and Napier they mentioned filed. that
1: too, by the way. You know, since we have sound from him, I don't. I'm kind of limited to how much I'm supposed. To to use, and he he brought it up. They're working on it, but they want to get those game-changing plays, so we'll we'll see what happens there.
3: Look, I I think that uh, um, the... This Florida team last year was probably the most inconsistent team I can remember, because something new cropped up every week that bit them in the butt. And and the game that they they would lose one game, we'd be like, okay, we learned this about the team. And then the next week, something else would go wrong, and we'd be like, wait, we thought we had that fixed. And then the next week, something else would crop up. You'd be like, wait a minute, like,
1: I mean, yeah, the the, the, the not being able to stop the counter didn't really come about till you went to LSU, which is almost midpoint of the season.
3: Yeah, Why? Well, and, and so, so I think what Napier's dealing with is is some of the stuff that uh, that is residual from that, which is that there's just a level of inconsistency with the guys who are returning, and and you know you got to build that consistency and that discipline and that day after day do your job type stuff into into everybody while also learning, right? And I think that's one of the things we also need to acknowledge is Napier and his staff are all learning the SEC, the SEC mm-hmm. landscape, and and what that looks like with a lot of young players. And it hasn't been pretty all the time, hasn't been, hasn't been ugly all the time either. I think, you know, look, they were 10.5-point underdogs. I think people, most people expected them, including myself, that they were going to go into Tennessee and get beat by two touchdowns. And, you know, they didn't. I think that game was a lot closer than even when they were behind by, by 17. I think we all felt like, you know, the, the fumble by Richardson then gets converted into a touchdown the other way. We're like, oh, they were so close to pulling it. Well, probably to within four because he would have gone for two after he got
1: that touchdown. But um, I mean, the difference, then, Will, was you know, right before halftime, right after halftime. I mean, that was the difference.
3: Well, that's been the difference in a lot of the games, right? Yeah. I mean, the the interception against Kentucky right before they went in for the half, um, you know, the the pick six against USF sort of gave them a cushion that allowed them to carry that one home uh, going into the half, and then you've got then <laughs> you've got <laughs> this one where they were at midfield with like three three and a half four minutes left, pin them at the one. But it was interesting to me at the 50. If you were going to quibble with one thing with Napier, I think it would be the play calling at the 50 on that particular drive that they did not give the ball to Montreal Johnson or or ETN there when they were at midfield with three and a half minutes left, if for no other reason because then you're kicking back to Tennessee with even less time than you have on it before. There was a – You know, Richardson missed Pearsall, I think, on a a throw where he was open, but it was a tough throw. And then they had a couple of plays that ran a little bit of clock. But, um, you know, that to me is the one place where you look at it and go, hmm. Should they have maybe been a little bit more conservative or should they have leaned on the running game, even though it was struggling? Yeah. Should they have leaned on the running game? Should they have leaned on Richardson running the ball there in you know, in the last two or three minutes of the half to keep it away from Tennessee? Go in, even, even if you're up 14 to 10, even if you don't drive down the field and get a field goal and go up 17 to 10 or drive all the way down and go in 21 to 10, um, you know the, that's maybe the one place where I say, hmm, like they were aggressive. They were aggressive the entire time. Should they have maybe dialed it back right there?
1: Yeah, that was interesting there, right before it was pretty much the difference in the game. You know, if things play out <laughs> the, the 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 way they did, they actually did a lot of those fourth down decisions and going for it and all that stuff. Uh, you know, you can change those, you, you cannot change those, but that right before uh, halftime, I think was uh, a clear difference uh, in, in the game. So, all right, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button if you're watching this live on YouTube right now, if whoever you are. Hit that like button really really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Plenty to get into on this episode. Plenty on Gators Breakdown Plus as well. During football season, you get extra episodes, Q&A episodes there uh, with me throughout the week, chatting on that Discord server uh, each and every day. A lot of good conversation going on there as well. And before we move forward out there, be safe uh Floridians out there with this big uh hurricane on the way uh, if you're on the west side of Florida, take all the precautions you can uh i believe I work on the news st- at a news station. We're taking all the precautions here on the east coast uh here in Florida uh we won't get the brunt of it as you guys will in the West Coast. so I got friends in Tampa who are being evacuated by tomorrow morning uh so if you're in that area, uh, you know heed the warnings uh go be safe. Uh, And, you know, uh, we'll we'll see you afterwards and hopefully everything's okay there. So everybody just be safe out there uh, coming up this week. But let's get back to some football here. Well, and and some positives, you know, some more positives, you know, like you said, it's not moral victory. But there there are some things we can take away from it. And, you know, one thing I I do want to take away, how about the team showing up on the road? (laughs) Because that was a big question last year. Uh, Remember, we all remember last year's team. First game on the road, lexington you know, look completely unprepared to play a football game. Uh, then later on in the season, the debacle in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, later in the season where the team just wasn't ready, got boat raced by, a, you know, not so good, maybe average at best South Carolina team. And this team with a new staff did not look like they were playing with a new staff uh, on the road. They were there, they were prepared. Uh, you didn't get you know some of the dumb penalties. that the, the staff didn't look like they were playing their first game on the road in that type of environment. Uh, you know, Florida didn't work themselves out of a game because of the you know inexcusable penalties, uh, lack of preparation. You know, the, the offense handled that environment very well, and I know some will point to the defense and maybe say lack of preparation there, but that's just that's just purely getting beat. Besides a couple plays, of course. Uh, but you know, as Napier said, a lack of execution there. I don't think well, a lack of preparation uh, when you look at the big picture. Um, you know, there were you know, inexcusable lapses. You know, I'm not excusing those, but. There was effort. There was no quit in this team. Uh, just went up against an offense that, that's really, really good. But the whole team competed well all the way to the very end. But uh, I just like you know going on the road. I didn't know what to expect. Honestly, this was a new staff, uh, and, and we know Billy Napier to you know, for his reputation is to be prepared for every scenario. And you know they didn't. You cannot tell that you know this was their first road three three straight home games to start the season. First road game in that in top in that type of environment. I was at least happy to take that to us. We'll take that with us to the next step.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, if you'd have told me that Anthony Richardson was going to throw for 453 yards, (laughs) average 10.3 yards per attempt, and run the ball 17 times, one, I would have told you, ooh, that guy's getting a nice bath at the end of the game. And I would have said Florida wins. Because (laughs) if if now I would have said it's a track beat, I would have been like, uh oh. Uh, but but at the same time, like those are stats where you're like, whoa, he hasn't done that. All year, he hasn't done that in his career, right? I mean, he he put the team on his back and just mm-hmm. carried them for large stretches. His usage rate was up around 70% for the entire game. They clearly knew that they needed to get him back right, get him in the right frame of mind. They gave him some easy throws to start with, which I thought was good. But the other thing is is that he if, – if you went back and looked at the Kentucky tape, he – when he was not pressured so that I had a stat in in my preview article for Tennessee that when he was not pressured against Utah and when he was not pressured against, um, Against South Florida, he was really, really effective. He was not effective against Kentucky. And so he went back to that when he was not pressured, when there was a throw that just needed to be made to either Whittemore or Pearsall right over the middle. Sometimes it was low and the guy had to kind of go get it, but he didn't airmail it by 15 yards, which is what he had been doing. And so hitting those nice, easy, over the middle throws made the defense start to constrict a little bit. And when it did, he started to hit those throws to the outside to shorter and to Pearsall and was really on target with a lot of those things. I can only think of maybe one or two throws where he really was off after that first quarter. And and once he settled in, then it was like, okay, now we now we really have an opportunity. You know, Florida got some turnovers early. Obviously, mm-hmm. the fumble from the fumble from Ventrell Miller was a huge play in terms of keeping him in the in the game. I tweeted at the end of the first quarter is that it felt like the Georgia game from last year where Florida was clearly their inferior team they were able to move the ball a little bit on the bulldogs they got in they got in field goal territory missed a field goal I think Georgia missed a couple of field goals it was still 0-0 but you're like this can't last and then the turnover barrage happened at the end of the half And what happened was is after the first quarter, Florida was really able to right the ship and take it to Tennessee. And, and, you know, look, I don't think anybody thinks the Vols defense is on the level of Georgia or Alabama or anything like that, but they've been pretty good against the run all year and continued to be uh, good against the run in this one, which is why Richardson had to take over. So, you know, I mean, I, I think, yeah, they came ready to play on the road. I think you would hope that four games into the era of a new coach, he hasn't lost the locker room <laughs> to a point where he's going to be able to get him to show up on the road and have a good game plan and those sorts of things. Um, I think the big thing is, is that there were a lot of times where they could have packed it in, yep. right? Where – And in fact, I think Danielson even mentioned it on the telecast where they gave up the big play, the 70 yard pass on the broken coverage right after they'd gotten up seven, three. And just like that, two seconds later, Tennessee's up 10 to seven. And he's like, you just worked so hard to get to seven to three. And now Tennessee just bam, bam, right down the field. And so the fact that the offense kept going back in the field, kept fighting, kept, kept giving the defense an opportunity to, to then screw it up on the back end, um, I think says something about the team, says something about their togetherness and says something about where they may be going heading, you know, heading on from here. So, yeah, I mean, great performance by Richardson. I gotta be honest. I'm a little bit curious to see what happens when he goes back into the swamp because yeah. he said all of his best performances on the road, that LSU game, <laughs> which, this kind of reminded me of yeah. that, right? Where it's like, Hey, here you go. AR just roll the ball out there, chuck it all over the place. We're going to let you go after it. And you know, Hey, you'll make a mistake here or there, but we're going to live with it because the offense is dynamic when you're able to just go out there and be you. That's what this kind of reminded me of, and those two performances, his signature performances thus far as a Gator, have both been on the road. And uh, We're going to have to figure out how to get that at home there Mm. in Gatesville because uh, that was an exciting, exciting player to watch.
1: There we go. We figured it out, Will. When the team comes running out of the tunnel, all the Gator fans should just boo. Maybe, maybe, maybe I get him more comfortable there.
3: <laughs> he can shush everybody like Frank's back in 2018. <laughs> yeah, there we go.
1: Uh, hey, we're trying what we can. We're trying what we can. Um, but yeah, it, that, that goes to another point, Will, and that gets us kind of to AR at the same time. You know, to uh, be able to adjust, not running the ball. I mean, you know, that is something Billy Napier prides his cell phone and prides his offense on is going out there and being able to run the ball, being able to dictate uh, with the offensive line and the running game, and kind of just. You know, take over a game eventually with that, and it wasn't there. Uh, and Tennessee did a great job with that, uh, and you needed Anthony Richardson to go out there perform. So Billy Napier, you know, credit to him too, being able to adjust. Uh, you know, not you know, I'll go and look at it. Doesn't not, not too many times he has a quarterback that does it forty times. <laughs> so uh, when you want to go back and look at it, but. Yeah, credit to him for being able to adjust, uh, having to adjust, and being able to adjust uh, and have you know success that we with, with a quarterback uh, that we were all questioning uh, coming into the game. And here's Billy Napier
0: on Anthony Richardson. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless
2: pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and
0: returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
2: We knew going into the park that we were going to give him the ball and let him go play, you know, we'll continue to do that. Um, it's just part of him being a young player, no different than you draft an NFL quarterback you know, in the first round, and, hey, he's your guy, you know, let's go. You know, I mean, there's been a number of rookie quarterbacks that have been through that same process, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, I think the big thing for him is I saw him kind of flip the switch as a competitor, you know, and really just get consumed with, hey, look, this is my team, I'm going to take my team, we're going to beat your team, I'm going to do everything I can do to help my teammates and help our team win. Uh, and just competing, right, and not really worrying about anything else, what anybody thinks or, um, you know, how things are going. Just like what is the next decision that I need to make to help the team win? And uh, I think ultimately that's where I saw a little bit of growth from him.
1: Some growth, Will. And, look, I I think even going back to, you know, to Kentucky and the USF games, he was struggling. Uh, And, you know, quarterback depth may have something to do with this, but – And they were letting Anthony Richardson go out and just work it all out, especially in that Kentucky game. Uh, You know, Billy Napier trusted him, probably could have put it back up in at at, at any moment, at any time, to maybe even just settle him down for a drive or two. But no, Billy Napier stuck with this guy. Uh, and, and trust him. Uh, and look, thirty-five attempts versus Kentucky, forty-one versus Tennessee. Uh, there, your two SEC teams. But you played so far. And the teams you're 0 two against as well. So man, I don't know if there's correlation <laughs> much there yet. Uh, we'll see where the season goes. But uh, the you know the forty-one versus Tennessee, of course, comes with territory uh fighting behind a bit uh, late in the game in the fourth quarter as well. But the at least the ability uh, was there. Uh, he had the ability to. To, to keep it going and to bring Florida back there at the end of the game. And then, look, I often said, going by Billy Napier's history. I thought he might open it up a bit more with Richardson than he showed it in his past with Levi Lewis. From everything, you know, I was hearing in Gainesville throughout the fall, uh, Billy Napier really likes and really trusts what he has uh, in Anthony Richardson. And that Kentucky performance was just a, a complete surprise uh, there. So now, look, it, it, not, not going to be every game uh, because, you know, Florida has – because of what Florida has in the run game and the ability to be able to run the ball, now I know that this past week was it wasn't there, but more often than not, the, the run game is going to be there and be leaned on by Billy Napier. Um, of course, versus Kentucky, thought they could lean on a little bit more to, to help out a struggling quarterback, but Billy Napier was there, trusting his quarterback. But Tennessee, it was needed to, to, to stay in the game. Now, will just you know whether it's out of necessity or not. I think in Napier sees a quarterback that he sees talent in and a quarterback he trusts. Um, and he trusted Levi Lewis, too, back at Louisiana. But, you know, not to the tune of letting passes fly like crazy. So uh, I went back and looked. And last year, Levi Lewis threw 40 attempts versus Texas in the opener last season. But his next highest was 34. He averaged 28 attempts last season. 2020 threw for 37 as the highest versus Georgia State that year. And averaged 27 attempts in 2020. Uh, In his first year as a starter, in 2019, threw for 39 in the opener versus Mississippi State, 46 versus App State, both losses, uh, averaged 27 that season. So there's not many times he even threw over 30 there, there, there Levi Lewis. So right now, Anthony Richardson is at 30 uh, through the season, through four games. So I think moving forward, how much does Napier let A.R. throw? How much does he need to throw? Versus Tennessee, of course, it was needed. Run game was shut down. It was the only way Florida could stay in the game. I expect Florida to be able to run the ball moving forward, uh, and maybe even AR himself uh, more than we saw versus Kentucky, more than we saw versus USF. But, well, at the same time, you look at this Florida defense, (laughs) I expect some shootouts uh, to to, to be coming up on the schedule as well. So, you know, we're going to need some successful maybe 40 attempt games from Anthony Richardson maybe a few more times this season.
3: Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see, right? I mean, I think in this game you kind of – like they knew they were going to need Richardson in order to win. They knew they were going to be in a shootout. They knew they clearly Napier knew going for it on fourth down in his own territory. Going for on fourth down six separate times. He knew he needed to keep the Tennessee offense off the field, and he didn't really trust his defense to be able to stop him. Which also explains some of the conversion stuff later on. Um, and and he was right because <laughs> 12 Hooker averaged twelve and a half yards <laughs> an attempt, and so that that's that's obviously bad. Um, I think though one of the things is you've now established Anthony Richardson's confidence, and if you're looking at this from a long range, then you got to start asking who else do we need to get ready, right? Who else needs that confidence? Who else needs those reps? Who else do we need to get ready? Not the quarterback position, but elsewhere. And so I do wonder, especially with Eastern Washington, Missouri coming up on the schedule, are we going to start to see some of the younger receivers? A guy like Caleb Douglas? Are we going to see um, Arlis Boardingham if he's if he's healthy? Are we going to see Marcus? Burke. Uh, Chiakow, yeah, Marcus Burke, Dejon Reynolds, um, Chicao Bowman. Are we going to start to see those guys get more time? Um, and if those guys are getting more time, then obviously Richardson's going to be the guy who's throwing it to them. But I do think that they're probably going to back off on the 17 rushes. I think the 17 rushes were, hey, he needs to get popped a little bit. He believes that he needs – and I think this really is true. I think Anthony Richardson believes he needs to be running and free in order to be effective. And you know, they were able to give him that in the Tennessee game. I don't know that you'll need to do that right moving forward, at least not initially because he got confidence as, as the game went on. And all of a sudden, the ball was being zipped into those zones and, it, and they were perfect passes. And so now that you've got that, let him do it <laughs> yeah. right and let him do that let your running game take over against lesser opponents and go out and show you know show, show Richardson he can do this game after game after game with just his arm so that you don't have to run him all the time allow guys like ETN guys like Montrell Johnson to get comfortable with where they're going to be in the in the offense and then go out there and get some younger receivers some run as well um you know and and sort of build those guys up and i think that's one of the things that's going to be sort of a story for the year for the offense is that I suspect that there's going to be opportunities to build different guys up in different games. And this Tennessee game was an opportunity to build up Anthony Richardson because one, he needed it. And yeah. then two, two, Florida needed it yeah. for him to be successful for, for them to be successful. I don't know that they're gonna need that from now on. And in fact, again, if you go back and look at the Kentucky tape, it wasn't like he was making the wrong read right. most of the time. Now there were a couple interceptions and yeah. things like that where you look at it and go, okay, that wasn't the, the best read in the world, but for the most part, he was making the wrong read. He wasn't delivering the ball well. It was high. It was high consistently. He was overthrowing guys. There were a couple. There was one to shorter early on, on I think it was a third down um, where they went down the sideline, and 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 I didn't like the play call. I thought I, I thought they were getting aggressive in a way that made it low percentage, and you know there were maybe some opportunities to take something shorter across the middle. But uh, you know those are things that actually I think I, and I pointed this out in my in my recap article is. On the last drive, Richardson could have tried to push the ball down the field. He actually took a check down Uh at one point on one of the plays to Bowman, and I thought that was telling. Right, that he looked around, he didn't have his guy who was open. Tennessee had dropped a bunch of guys into the zone, and he realized last second that he had a check down. He throws it out there, they gain 12 yards, and then then keep moving. I think we're going to see that a lot more. I'm hoping we see that a lot more because against USF, there were a lot of times where the check down was available and he didn't take it. The fact that he took it in a critical situation where they only have a, a limited number of seconds left And, you know, they need to score that touchdown at the end. The fact that he was willing to take it there, I think, says something about his development and says something about how these guys are going to start developing with him as we move forward.
1: Yeah, 41. uh, It was 41 attempts, Will, um, right? uh, Well, what was it? I was trying to remember off the top of my head. Let me see. I got it right here. It was 44 Uh, attempts. 44 attempts, yeah. Yeah, 44 attempts. And I don't remember. And you said going back to the Kentucky and, you know, it was – the reads were there, but some bad throws and, of course, the pick six and all that. Out of those 44 attempts, I don't remember, you know, digging my hands into the couch and being like, oh, no, don't throw that one. They're like, I don't remember that. I mean, I could be misremembering there, but I was just like, oh, man, that was a terrible throw or shouldn't have thrown that or he got lucky that one didn't get picked off. You know, there's been times this year where there's even been those throws in combination with the interceptions, but... I mean, he, went, he dropped back 44 times, only completed 24, of course. But part of that, I think, where he was hurried 13 times, according to the official stats. And also, he threw some of the passes away, threw them out of bounds uh, there. So there was some, uh, uh, as you're saying, Will, with the, even with the checkdowns and then throwing the ball out of bounds as well, not taking the sack, getting rid of the ball. I mean, it was also a smarter performance by Anthony Richardson.
3: You're not going to see a better play than the one on the touchdown pass to Zipper. Like that, the, the amount of machinations he had to do in the pocket, he actually had an opportunity to leak out the backside and run Mm -hmm. and probably gain six, seven, eight yards. And at the last second he comes back to his right and he just sort of like flipped his wrist and most guys flip their wrist like that. And the, I think it was a linebacker, maybe it was a corner, but the linebacker who was in front in that sort of covered, they had like a cover two shell on that side who's in front, like just didn't have time to adjust. And I am like, that's why Mel Kuiper, That's why I say. <laughs> Have this guy sitting where he is. He's incredibly raw, but that play right there, I just look at it and I go, he had his base was way off. He he was moving all over the place because Florida's offensive line was beat right from the start of that play. He was looking left the entire time, and then all of a sudden comes back right and just throws a bullet with without his base underneath him right at zipper and obviously zipper did some special stuff after he caught the ball but the fact that that even got to zipper i think says a lot about anthony richardson and his skills and abilities now you know obviously it has to be that way consistently you can't just do that once you have to do that every single time and i think that's going to be the challenge for richardson is how do you get more consistent because he's had a couple of pretty decent highs. The Utah game, he won that game. The Tennessee game, he had them on his back. But the Kentucky game, they were trying to carry him, and he just would not let them. And the USF game was sort of, eh, like still bad. And so, you know... The, it's not just like you got to you can't just be on every other game mm-hmm. or one out of every two but it was interesting coming into the coming into this game in my preview article for tennessee I, I did mention i was like what if what if utah and kentucky had been flipped yeah so what if he'd put up an absolute stink bomb in the first game and then he would played really well against utah and then he'd been ho-hum against usf we would have been like well he's due to due to due to come back right and have another good game and the order flipped, which meant it felt like everything was going down. But now he's got an up, and the question that he has to answer is: Is he going to be up one out of every three? Is he going to be up two out of every four? Is he going to be <laughs> up, you know, six out of every eight? And then and look, I'm not elim- trying to make can he com- eliminate the downs?
1: right? And I'm not trying to make the comparison to you know to, to Bryce Young at Alabama, but yeah, you know, and, and I brought this up, you know, in the, with the Texas game. You know, he has his struggles has his struggles, but he finds a way to win and he finds a way to flip the switch in the fourth quarter and 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 go on with the victory you know he doesn't have he go go back to last year's lSU game and last year's auburn game uh for for alabama you know Bryce Young did not play all that well, but he knows when to turn it on he he can flip the switch and he can go out there and get the victory and this, it's not like he's out there throwing for three hundred and fifty yards <laughs> every game he still shows his struggles at the same time you know, I, I'm not comparing that, but you know i'm maybe this the kind of comparing the up and downs that might be you know something you can look at
3: well and i did this in an article a couple of weeks ago where i compared him in burrow and oh, that's right. not and, and they have a they have a different statistical profile in high school. And and look, I don't think that Richardson's going to be as polished as Joe Burrow was in 2019, probably at any time in the near future. But the point was that Burrow was really up and down that first year. I mean, everybody remembers the every Florida fan remembers that pick six against Florida to end that game. He also had a pick six against UCF where he just got absolutely blasted by, by one of the defensive linemen who came over and hit him. And you know. So it's not as though he didn't make mistakes and it's not as though he didn't um, show show inconsistencies that first year. And in fact, he was really inconsistent and really, actually, he wasn't that inconsistent. He was consistently bad for the first eight or nine games of the year. And then all of a sudden, a switch flipped. And so, again, I think that's the question that needs to be answered here is, did Richardson just flip a switch? And are we going to see this moving forward? And Eastern Washington actually gives him a good opportunity to sort of build two in a row because you would expect that this is a game where he's going to be able to go out there and, and and continue what he just built on against Tennessee. At the same time, we said that about USF and that turned out not to be true. So we'll see, right? Is he a sine wave? Is he up and down mm-hmm. and up and down and up and down? Or is he going to be able to start stringing together a couple of these ups in a row? And I, I think honestly... Richardson's one of the most gifted players I've ever seen who plays quarterback. But just because you're gifted doesn't mean that you're good. And so he's been very good in two games. He's been very bad in two games. I actually kind of want to see him play well. Or what I want to see him do is I want to see him write a ship in the middle of the game when you know he doesn't have it. Like when he Uh airmails a guy in the middle of the field, is he going to go, oh, here we go again, and all of a sudden we're back to going 4 of 12 for 33 yards and the offense can't move? Or does he airmail the guy in the middle of the field and the next time that throw is there, he lets it rip and he gets it there and it's complete? And, and that, I think, is probably the next step for him when it comes to being quarterback is the Tennessee game after the first quarter. There were a couple things in the first quarter, but after the first quarter, everything went his way. Like, And you know, admittedly, because he did it, right? I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's rearing back and ripping it and the ball's getting there and it's right on, right on the spot. But to your point, he didn't th- make that one throw over the middle that was ill-advised that got picked gets taken the other way, and then everything sort of snowballs from there. So we'll see. right? I think that's going to be the test for Richardson. The next test for Richardson coming up is there's going to be a game where he's going to throw an interception because he's prone to him. He's going to throw an interception at some point early in the game. The question is going to be can he come back out and have the confidence to continue letting it rip. I think this game is part of that. I think this is part of building that process. But, again, we don't really know how he's wired. This game he played well from the jump. The Utah game, he played well from the jump. The Kentucky game and the USF game, he didn't really play all that well right from the start, and the minute a mistake was made, things started to go downhill, and that'll be sort of the next step, I think, for him is to prove to himself more so than to us that when he makes a mistake, he's able to right the ship mid-game.
1: Yep, that's the thing Florida needs to build on most sitting at 2-2. That performance versus Tennessee is something hopefully the quarterback Uh, can build on. So we'll hear more more from Billy Napier uh, coming up here in Gators Breakdown for uh, him discussing the secondary and also his use of analytics. But first, hear from our friends at Shark Coatings.
0: You know the goosebumps you get when Florida takes the field? Or when that 63-yard Hail Mary actually works? Or the thrill of a game-winning interception in the end zone? What a rush. You can experience that same rush every day at your home with Shark Coatings. We'll cover your old, ugly concrete with a beautiful industrial concrete coating and a warranty that lasts longer than most careers in professional football. So whether your garage floor is for parking, partying, or working out, Shark Coatings can transform it. And if your pool deck is starting to look like a bulldog, old, cracked, and smells like pee, Shark Coatings can transform that too. Shark Coatings is easy to clean, stain resistant, and is 100% antibacterial and antimicrobial. We're easy on the eyes and on the maintenance. Gator Nation is worldwide, and Shark Coatings is based right in the heart of it. So whether you live in Brunswick, Georgia, or Live Oak, Florida, down to Ocala, over to New Smyrna Beach, or anywhere in between. Contact us for a free estimate today. Learn more at sharkfloorcoatings.com. That's sharkfloorcoatings.com.
1: All right, here we go. Let's switch it to defense now. And Billy Napier discussing, after he was asked about, uh, you know, safety secondary play for the Gators coming off the game versus Tennessee.
2: There's two in particular where we just have one player bust the coverage, right? Um, And I think there is a communication element to that, but um, a lot of it has to do with um, discipline to execute, you know, the ability to do your job in a critical moment in a critical time, right? Uh, We've got to do the simple things well, right? Um, There's, you know, a dozen plays in that game where Florida beats Florida, if that makes sense. You know, and, you know, we've always taken great pride in being a team that doesn't give the opponent anything. Right. you're going to have to earn every inch that you get when you play our team so um, we, we're still not there right we're still learning our systems uh, we're still learning how to adjust to play in different systems um, you know i think there's a lot of repetition and growth and um, that needs to take place there to get to be the type of football team that we want to be
1: well, I mean, he's telling the truth there. You know, this defense, of course, not a, I mean, the whole team, not a well oiled machine. It's uh, definitely going to need the reps out there. Uh, and, you know, through four games so far, three from the defense have left a lot to be desired. But one thing I, I thought we could hang our hat on, Will, going into this Tennessee game was there were not those big busts that we had been accustomed to seeing in the last couple of years. You didn't see the wide open player running down the field. And then lo and behold, <laughs> you know Tennessee can stress you now. They, they can put you in those situations where you better be able to communicate. You better be in the right. Uh, you better be in the right sets. You better be. Um, you, know, you better be making your key reading read your keys. We heard about that all off season uh, coming in this. And of course, Billy Napier starts that sound bite off right there, talking about two two plays in particular. And Will, you you, you stressed it in your article. Of course, we all you know, the first big bust there. Uh, trading Trey in position, you know, and just for whatever, you know, can clear clearly tell it's, it's man there on the left side of the offensive formation, but it was the top of the screen uh, for whatever reason, just does not cover uh, the inside receiver. He goes down wide open, big play for Tennessee. And then later in the game, uh, of course there may be some more question of who is responsible, whether it be cornerback Avery Helm or Trey Dean and once again. Uh, Billy Napier says sound bite didn't necessarily really clear it up. It did sound like one player. Um, you know, maybe even you know, the, the same player on both Plays, but that still really wasn't clear. Was it just one player on each play? So no clarity there. He's not going to come out and name anybody in particular there. Uh, But still, even going back to the first one, uh, inexcusable kind of play there, will. Uh, And you know, one, I was just hoping we we were we were through three games. We didn't see that type of play yet. Uh, But coming up on the road, Knoxville versus an an offense that will test you to see if you are going to avoid that. Uh, We saw it twice.
3: Yeah, well, credit to Tennessee, they hit it yep. every time. You know, the, 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 the Todd Grantham defense was notorious for letting guys get behind him. The opposing quarterback couldn't always take advantage, but in this case, they could. Um, look, I mean, those are the ones that you look at and say absolutely, like, they can't happen. They're unacceptable. I think Gary Danielson used that phraseology on, on, the, uh, on the broadcast that that's just an unacceptable bust. But here's the deal. Florida gave up 576 yards, averaged 8.2 yards per play against... They gave up 12.5 yards per throw, 5.4 yards per rush, so they got beat. And mm-hmm. whether you want to blame it on the two plays that, you know, one, like you said, is Dean, the second one we kind of suspect is Dean, though it depends, again, on what defense was called. And without knowing what defense is called, you can't definitively say who, whose responsibility it is. Um, I actually think based on what the other three guys did, I'm kind of leaning helm, but I, I don't know. Um uh, but the thing is, that's two explosive plays. There were mm-hmm. four other ones. That forty-four yard run for Hooker that had nothing to do with trade <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> and, and you know the the pass that was dropped by their tight end across the middle yeah. when uh, when they had uh, Trevez Johnson playing like eighteen yards off of him um, and didn't drop a linebacker back into the center of the field. Everybody knew that was going to the tight end across the middle. It was an easy slant, easy pitch and catch. Tennessee misses it. It's like, whoa, holy moly! Like, how did they how did they miss that one? Um, you know, you've got the pass to Keaton there at the end or at the end of the first half, the 43 yard pass where he lays out. I mean, it's a great catch, right? Yeah. Really, really good, um, and catch. But part of the problem is, is that they, they clearly declared to hooker before the snap that this is what you've got. Right. And so there wasn't much disguise. He knew he was going to have one-on-one on the outside. He knew he was going to have an opportunity to take a shot. They're at their own 22. They've just gotten a first down. You took a tight, you took a timeout. you you know they're going to have to take a shot at some point in the not too distant future. That is the time to play prevent, right? Like there are times to, there are times where prevent prevents you from winning. There are times where prevent actually like helps you keep things in front of you. And they decided not to do that there. So look, anytime you give up almost 600 yards, anytime you're giving up eight yards a clip, you can point to one or two (laughs) busts. Certainly those are disturbing and you don't like seeing them. And you know, look, I mean, even those old Oklahoma teams that we used to make fun of for not playing any defense. I mean, I don't recall them having just busts. I mean, sometimes they got beat physically, but I don't recall them having like just bust after bust after bust. But, I mean, look, Florida couldn't get Hooker on the ground at any point mm. in the entire game. They gave up over 100 yards rushing to him. They gave up 350 some odd yards passing to him. They can't get off the field, which is the other aspect that we haven't really talked about at all. And I haven't heard a lot of people talking about Florida has now given up 26 of 50 on third downs this year. Mm. They've been up above 50% in three of the four games. The only game they were decent was against Kentucky. Uh They've given up 52% total third down conversions, 50% overall if you count fourth down conversions, and Tennessee was six and nine. So... You know, trading had nothing to do with third-down conversions. I mean, he had something to do with it, but he wasn't the reason that that Tennessee was converting third down after third down after third down. He wasn't the reason that Utah was converting third down after third down after third down. He wasn't the reason USF was converting third down after third down after third down. This is a defense where – Napier even mentioned it in the press conference – where every play there's somebody who's not necessarily doing their job. And they're going to have to fix that, right? And it's glaring when it's a 70-yard pass – and look, that needs to be fixed too. I mean, I'm not making an excuse. What I'm saying is, is that the 40 yard run for Hooker. But even like the, there was a play where they had um, the the linebacker didn't get out to to chase the running back. Yeah. Right. Clearly, it's the it's the linebacker's man. Right. They motion out the running back. The linebacker doesn't move. They throw a swing. Shamar
1: James, I think it was
3: Shamar James. Yep. And you know, the linebacker doesn't move. They throw it out there on a little swing pass. Tennessee blocks it pretty decently and you've Rashad Torrance has to come from 25 yards away to go (laughs) tackle, you know, 14 yards downfield. It's like, I mean, that poor guy is going to lead the team in tackles because he's the only guy left. Well, well, did you,
1: you uh, you probably didn't get a chance to listen to Gators breakdown yesterday. Now I'll put it just in case you didn't listen yesterday. I went back, went track now. He had 13 tackles for the game. Here's what here was the yardage gain on those tackles. 21, 9, 16, 10, 71, 19, 16, 16, 45, 6, 8, and 11. <laughs> I mean, as you say. Hey, eight.
3: there was one first down. Hey, well, one yeah, there we go. Down.
1: I mean, so that lets you know, as you said, it's like you're getting past the first level, you're getting past the second level, and you got your safety who's having to make it up. And don't get me wrong, it's, you know, his, his tackle numbers are, are high mostly because of that. It's not like he's an in-the-box you know, third linebacker safety and Marcel Harris type uh, from back in the day. He's not that type of safety. He's making these, he's making these tackles down the field.
3: Yeah, well, so there's a bunch of different things there. But if you stop the running game, then you don't have to, then you don't, your linebackers and your safeties don't have their eyes in the backfield because they know they have to come up and support. So this all cascades from the defensive line. And yep. McClellan needs to play a lot more. The last two games, he's really flashed, and I expect to see him a lot more. Um, but but you know, look, the defensive line doesn't have anybody up there who's making a, a game changing play. The one tackle know,
1: for Brenton Cox, one tackle for Jervon Dexter.
3: Well, and I mean, again, the last play, I think it was the inside run for Tennessee that they that they put the last touchdown up. It's one where Cox is going after is going after the quarterback. He's he's supposed to be making a read. Doesn't crash down on the running back. There's nobody there on the back end to help. And, you know, look, it's not just Cox's fault, Uh-oh. but it's, it's an aggregate, right? You look there and go all right, who's getting pressure on Hooker? When you get the pressure on Hooker, are you able to bring him down? They had him at middle linebacker at one point yeah. on that third down there late in the late in the half, and they put him there specifically because we think we can get him there to the quarterback in a critical situation. That's why they called the timeout, because they right. thought they had to play to get him, and mm-hmm. they didn't get him down. It didn't get him on the ground. He broke through the offensive line. He had him dead to rights. He gets away, and all of a sudden, there's a first down for Tennessee. And, you know... There are multiple plays on each drive where you look at it and just say, one guy didn't do what he needed to do. One guy wasn't physically gifted enough to do what they were asking him to do. One guy broke the coverage. One guy did what he was supposed to do and wasn't able to execute at the end. And then every once in a while, one guy just had no idea what the heck he was supposed to do. And so, <laughs> and so you string all those things together and you end up – you can play And it gives, men, the, and it gives the
1: good offense because you know Tennessee – People say, Oh, the middle of the field was wide open. That's what they do. That is their offense. So you have to win up front.
3: Yeah. Well, and you got to win at some at something, right? And I think that's the thing that we've really learned over the first four games for Florida's defense. Is you know, I had pinned some hope on their on their secondary because it was actually pretty good against the pass last year. I don't know why that was. I think it's because they were so bad against the run that defenses or that offenses just decided we'll just, decided, shoot, yeah. we'll just run for nine yards, <laughs> pop on the ground and be okay with that. And so we're not going to go torch them because they've been bad through the air this year as well. But you got to be good at something. Yeah. Right. I mean, are you good at coverage? Are you good at man to man? Are you good at zone? are you good at you know do your linebackers move side to side really well do you stop the run and fi- and have your run fits do you do you get well, I, pressure up the middle do you have defensive ends who can yeah. get sacks like what is it that this defense does well
1: and and after first couple of games i probably would have said got pressure cuz they got pressure versus Utah but Cam Rising escaped it you know was able to make some plays kind of the same thing versus Kentucky they were able to get some pressure especially early in the game this one kind of too, but they had to use some blitzers and they had to, you know, it was up the middle uh, a lot in the first half of how they got pressure uh, on Hooker. So I, I thought it probably would have been been able to point to getting pressure, but no, and you know, as I said, you know, the way Tennessee's offense is, you have to win up front, and it, it just was not there.
3: Well, and it's the same thing we've been talking about now for it seems like a decade, which is pressure is not just a guy coming off the edge, pressure is a guy up front. Pushing the pushing the offensive lineman back into the quarterback, and if you look at the
1: play that if you look at the play, turn it around. Play. How many times did that happen to well, Anthony about, Richardson?
0: Well,
3: that's what I was about to say. Yeah. Like he completely changed his path on the running play where he fumbled the ball mm-hmm. because because I think it was Egwene Agu- got just blasted back in behind the line of scrimmage, and now you're left with a situation where Richardson has to change direction. He's a little bit off kilter. The ball pops out and you get a fumble. It, it's not just the like the play that caused the fumble wasn't the guy who hit Richardson. The play that caused the fumble was the thing that made him divert from what the play was intended to do. You get a guy going up the middle in Hooker's face, he's going to throw a ball up that's inaccurate. In fact, he threw it intera- inaccurate a few times, even when Florida didn't have somebody in his face. Like, There's an opportunity there if you can get that pressure up the middle. They just aren't able to do it right now. And part of that is, is poor Javon Dexter's being triple teamed a lot mm-hmm. of the time. Some of that is that, you know, I, 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 love, uh, I love Desmond Watson, but he's not the guy who's going to get pressure up the middle, at least not right now. Right. Um, you know, human meelan and Boone and those guys are spotty. That every once in a while, they'll break through. They had a play where they blitzed both James and Miller. On the exact same play, and they were bringing six against five and somehow didn't have a free rusher. Like, how did you have six against five and you didn't get a free rusher? Like, Miller got caught up in traffic and it was like, you know, they didn't get to hooker and all of a sudden it's a slant and they end up with a first down. So, those sorts of things, there's some of that stuff that can be fixed. Some of it is just, it is who they are, right? They don't do anything well right now and if you were going to ask me what do they need to do the rest of the year I think that's the thing they need to do they need to figure out what their identity is on defense is the identity going to be we're going to play man and you figure it out like you know we're going to have some guys get burned but we're going to play man-to-man because we want to be a man-to-man team and we're going to blitz the crap out of you because we know we can't get pressure and hey every once in a while we'll drop into zone but for the most part we're coming after you after you is it going to be, hey, we're going to be the best zone defense in, in the country, and you're going to know that when when you're facing us, you're going to have to be precise. You're going to have to go down the field. You're not going to get anything big because we're constantly doing that. It's a bend but don't break. Yeah, you'll be on the field. Yeah, yeah, you'll have a lot of third down conversions, but, you know, but we're going to prevent you from getting the big play because the hybrid of going back and forth means you have no identity, means you don't know – uh, means you have these sorts of breakdowns, and and quite honestly, uh, you know, against teams like Missouri, against teams like even LSU, but against teams like Eastern Washington, you should be able to go out there and play what you want to play, mm-hmm. and 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 dominate the opposition. If you can't, then I think we got to be worried. But look, I mean, this is a team that gave up what fifty points to Sanford last year. Yeah. So it's not as though the defense was, was a bunch of world beaters last year, and some of that is stuff that needs to get fixed. But like I said, if, if I was going to focus on one thing as Patrick Tonya, a bit, what do I want my identity to be? And then let's go out and work on that. And, you know, we're going to give up some points. We're going to give up some yards. We're going to do all that sort of stuff. But what yeah. do I want the identity to be? Let's build into that. And then as we bring in more talent, as we spend more time in the system, as the guys learn what they're supposed to do, and quite honestly, as some of the guys who can't fit that identity get weeded out, mm-hmm. well, now all of a sudden you've got you've got a defense that gets better and better and better as the season progresses.
1: Yeah, maybe a, a youth movement a youth movement along the way. So, all right, we'll end this episode on another hot button topic here. Uh, the last couple of days, uh, if if you're in Gator Nation, and that is the uh, two point conversion Billy Napier goes for um, when you know it was. You want to be down nine, ten, or eleven. You know, all that comes into a, the, the equation here. But let's hear from Billy Napier and uh, his reasoning why. You
2: know first of all, you start talking about playing for a tie, right? When you're on the, when you're on the road, there's a slight advantage for the home team in overtime, right? And then there's certainly a bigger advantage when you're a two score favorite, right? I think it's about around 63 percent advantage if you're the home team playing overtime and you're a two point favorite or a two score favorite so that goes into your decision making and really all you're trying to do is de- is declare the path earlier in the game right uh, so you go for two there and if you if you get it you're at nine okay now you're in position to win the game with an extra point whereas if you don't get it now you're still two scores with an additional opportunity to go for two right so if you kick it, ultimately, the numbers are going to tell you to go for two to win the game anyway at the end of the game, right? So you're just declaring the path quicker, uh, and then that gives you a chance to adjust your strategy the rest of the game. I've got no issue with the decision. I mean, heck, we shoulda. We tip our own pass or we, we get the two-point conversion, right? So, I mean, we got the right play. We made the right decision, you know. Um, You know, I mean, this is one of those paths you go down where, you know, a lot of people don't understand, but, you know, we're going to base our um, decision-making off of, you know, research and evidence and true facts, you know, and numbers. So it is what it is.
1: It is what it is, Will, I love it. Take the emotion completely out of it. We're going by research. We're going by facts. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, look, and this is all going back to analytics, of course. Uh, there's you know charts that say when you score, how much you're down by, and this is what you do to go for the win. And that's what Billy Napier is going to go by. Uh, so, look, that is all laid out there now. Everybody will – you can still second-guess it, I guess, but you're going to know why certain things and certain decisions uh, are made, whether it be fourth downs or in, in, in this case uh, two point conversions. but you just you know now uh, that this coach is going to rely on analytics. he's going to be aggressive with it. he's going to trust it. He's going to take all the emotion out of it will. Uh, and you know, granted you know, there will be times. I, I guess you know it's probably not going to be 100% of the time an analytical call. But for the most part, and especially in that situation where, as he said, he laid it out pretty good. If you're the road team and you're, you know, you're down, you're double-digit underdogs, you, you don't want to go to overtime. You don't want to go to overtime in that hostile environment. Billy Napier was going for the win in his mind.
3: Yeah, well, so I, I think there's a couple of things you said there. I, I think the, the two-point conversion decision does have something to do with who you're playing. Mm-hmm. I mean, so if Florida – so let's reverse the order. If Florida had come down, kicked kicked an extra point the first time, then it kicked a field goal, and then it scored a touchdown at the end of the game and is down by one, and he goes for two points. Like, what do you want as a fan? Like, would you have wanted him to go for two, considering that Florida hasn't stopped Tennessee the entire game? Like, in an overtime battle, Florida's a, at a significant disadvantage. I, I don't – I don't think anybody disputes that. Is it twenty five seventy five? Is it ten ninety? Is it forty sixty? I don't know, right? But Florida is at a significant disadvantage. Napier actually went into that in the press conference, right? That that historically teams that are two touchdown favorites on the road win like sixty three percent of the time in overtime, something like that. So you're you're an underdog if you go to overtime. So all he's really doing by taking that two point conversion early. Is, and he said that he said this specifically, Mm -hmm. I think he said the clip you showed is he's charting the path. It allows him to make optimized decisions moving forward because he already knows whether he got or didn't get that two point conversion. So instead of waiting to the end of the game, and let's say you got 15 seconds left when you score that last touchdown and you go for two and you miss it, well, now you don't have any time to actually fix the miss. By doing it with four minutes left, you now have time to fix it and change your strategy and try to get so you know, he knows on that last on that last drive he's got to heave it in the end zone cuz he already missed the two point conversion mm-hmm. as opposed to being in a situation where maybe you don't know and i mean anybody who watched the buccaneers game this weekend right they're down by 8 they drive down the field they score with like 10 seconds left and then they missed the two-point conversion, game's over. And that's the thing he was avoiding potentially happening it, by going for two there early on because he had already made the decision that if they, that if they were down by one and had to go for a two-point conversion, he was going to do it. So he's like, well, why don't I do it when I'm down by 11? And then I have that bit of information to start with. The other thing is is that you can't do this stuff halfway. And I think that's the thing that people need to get into their minds when they think about analytics in general. So everybody's, and I think one of the things that's that's come up a lot is, well, Napier knew he had to keep Tennessee off the field. He knew that he needed to keep the offense on. That was one of the things he talked about in the press conference today for going for it on fourth down that entire time, you know, the six times that he went for it. And all that is true, and that factors into the math and factors into the decisions that you're going to make. But the reality is, is if you're going to make these decisions on fourth down here, because they increase your chances of winning, then they're going to increase your chances of winning against LSU three weeks from now. They're going to increase your chances of winning against Georgia. They're going to increase your chances of winning against Florida state. And the only way that you end up it not increasing your chances of winning is if you pick and choose when you do it, because picking and choosing when you do it means you're not actually playing the statistics. It's like, it, it's, you know, it, it really is a process over results thing. If you start making decisions based on the result, well, the next time you do it, like if if half the time you stick to your strategy, was it really a strategy overall? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that makes me really happy about Napier coming out of this one is that he basically said, yeah, I did it. i do it again. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that actually earlier this year I think was – I mean maybe maybe it was already the end for, for Scott Frost, but he kicked an onside kick against, uh, uh, against the opener against Northwestern, mm-hmm. right? And if it was statistically right to do that, and I actually think it is, then he needed to stand behind that So yeah, I'd do it again. The result wasn't good, but what we're going to do is we're going to do the right thing every time. Because we're going to win these one score games by doing the right thing every time. And he didn't do that. He got up there and he said, well, if I I saw the result, if I had to do it over again, I'd change it. Napier didn't do that. Napier got up and said, we're not going to make decisions based on feelings. We're not going to make decisions based on emotions. We have a plan the plan was this we executed this plan i'm comfortable with the with the way we evaluated that plan coming in i'm comfortable that the reasons to make those decisions didn't change throughout the course of the game like for example if hendon hooker had gone down with a shoulder injury in the third quarter then maybe you play for overtime because that completely flips Correct. who went, who has the advantage in an overtime right But nothing had changed from the pregame going in. And so he stuck to his guns. He stuck to what he thinks is the right way to do things. And that's what you want in a coach from an in-game management perspective. You want somebody who's going to look at it and say, this is what I plan to do. I'm going to stick to it because the numbers say that this makes the most sense. And so I, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, him I mean, I'll, I'll, true facts. I'll, I'll take that any day of the week, man. Yeah, I mean,
1: and like you said, opponent's going to come into play. Home away is going to come into play. Of like how, how aggressive you are in some of these decisions. So it's not like it's not going to be blanket each and every time. He's it, going to take into a factor who you play. Maybe even the other team's chances of <laughs> the, 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 them winning. Uh, if you are the home team, everything kind of switches uh, right there. But yeah, there's. It, 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 look, look he, he laid it out of you know the even research done beforehand. If you're a double digit underdog and you're going on the road, this is what you this is what you have to do to go win the game, not go to overtime, but to go win the game. And maybe overtime is in the equation in, in, in you know, further down the road in some form or fashion, but not, well, not in this hope- particular game against the Tennessee Volunteers on Saturday. This was the analytic plan to go, you know, to, to 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 take forward and go win a ball game.
3: Well, and hopefully, three years from now, we don't have to worry about this. Yeah. So the hope is, and I would say one of the things that I think Saban has actually has actually failed in in some capacity is this very thing when he's wound up in situations where he might have been able to take advantage of it. I think he's been more conservative than maybe he should have been. Now he's always had a great defense, and he's always relied on his defense and and those sorts of things. But, um, but. I think there are games where you can look back where where Alabama's lost, where he has not taken advantage of this sort of stuff. A lot of his wins are 45-3, to three, right? And, and look, that that has a lot to do with how good a coach he is. That has a lot to do with how good a developer of talent he is. That has a lot to do with how good of a recruiter he is. And all those things put together means he's got a much larger margin of error on game day and can mess up a few of these things and still get through. I mean, look, I think until last year, Kirby Smart, was somebody who you looked at and said he does not make the analytically smart decision every time out there to give his Georgia teams the best chance to win. Obviously, they were able to overcome that last year, though still I consider them SEC runner-ups. But irrespective of that, like you have to have that level of talent to overcome it otherwise you got to find every little edge and what Napier did so I did uh, there's a college football fourth down bot on uh, Twitter that tells you whether like how much winning percentage you've added and all the fourth down decisions Napier made only one moved in the wrong direction that was the missed field goal um, that was a decision that I think you could quibble with and say maybe you should have gone for it though it was one where they said essentially it's a it's a push but he added 13% of winning potential to Florida's ledger just by the fourth down decisions that he made. And so if you figure this was like a 75-25 in, in, Tennessee's, in Tennessee's advantage, and really when you're talking about two-score favorite, that's kind of what you're saying is three out of four times you kind of expect Tennessee to win. That 13% swung it way back towards – or swung it towards Florida. The two-point conversion, if he'd have gotten the first one to shorter, okay, that swings it back towards Florida. And can you imagine how psychotic the Tennessee fans would have been going? If they were up by two when that onside kick gets snagged by DeWan Black. Like and this I think is the is this is the analytics argument that if you if you would have been singing Napier's praises if they'd gotten that first two-point conversion and were down by two when Dewan Black gets the onside kick, then you can't kick him for them being down five when Dewan Black gets the onside kick. Because what you're doing is you're saying, Well, I don't like the result, so the decision is poor. Mm-hmm. But if you liked the result, you would say it was a good decision. Uh, that's not the way this works. Like We Correct. work in a world where, where you don't know that as the head coach going in. You don't know what the result will be. You only know what the, what the odds will be if you win or if, you, if your decision turns out and if your decision doesn't turn out. And Napier took a look at it and said, I think this is what I need to do to win this game. Tennessee was a better team. I don't think there's any doubt when you look at all the statistics coming in. When you look at the statistics of the two teams coming out of this game, um, you know Tennessee wins this game 60-65% of the time with uh, the same statistical profile for the game. Florida was fortunate to be in it and, and you know, gets that fourth down, fourth down turnover, heads the other direction, gets that second touchdown. All of a sudden you're like, whoa, this is pretty close. But how often do you get an onside kick? How You know, all those different things that had to go right. And the two point conversion was just one thing in in the sequence of events that did not go right. And once you've missed the first one, obviously you have to go for the second one. And so, you know, again, I don't think anybody's debating the second one. They're just looking at the end going, wow, it would have been nice to be down by three. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, it would have been nice to be down by two too. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know again i want a coach who makes decisions based on math i want him i want him what i want is i want a coach who makes decisions based on what he's planned so whether he had a conservative game plan coming into this one and then stayed conservative the whole game whether he had an aggressive game plan and stayed aggressive the entire game irrespective of what he did i very much respect that he was he stuck to his guns the entire game and was able to and and made those decisions when when Um, you know, when the bullets were flying and said, I'm going to stick with what I know is right when the bullets are flying. And if there are criticisms that I had of Mullen, especially last year, it was that the timeout usage and the the other things that they did tended to not be consistent with what you thought might be necessary or even what happened earlier in the game or later in the game. And it doesn't look like that's going to be the case with Billy Napier.
1: Yep, I know everybody was questioning it (laughs) as it was happening. And I think initially a lot of us did uh, but then you, you do hear the explanation, uh, and then all the analytics started kind of coming out late Saturday night and on Sunday too to kind of defend it. Um, you know, doesn't doesn't mean you have to agree with it. I'm not, you know, I'm not telling you to agree with it. I'm just letting you know why Billy Napier uh, believes in it so much and and the analytics out there. So
3: I'm telling you to agree with it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, really. In this in this case, there's a right answer and a wrong answer, and the right answer is that man i wish that ball hadn't been tipped on the way to shorter yeah. but uh, but if that if if the result changes your approach then you're going to struggle long term and you know certainly you look at results and change tact tactics and things like that if the results work out long term but i mean napier he said it himself i mean he's quoting studies about teams down by two or teams that are two two two-score underdogs on the road and how often they win in overtime that colors his decision-making process. And so what have we, you know, when we're sitting there going, oh, we, he should have taken the extra point. We're basically saying, do whatever every other coach does so that you don't get criticized. And Napier said, screw it, I'm going to get criticized because I want to win. And, you know, Nobody criticizes – I think you actually said it today. I think you tweeted that nobody seemed to criticize Lane Kiffin for going forward on fourth down uh-huh. all the time and being ultra, ultra, ultra aggressive when he was at Ole Miss or as he's been at Ole Miss. And so I think you know this is the new generation of coaches. They're going to look at this stuff. They're going to, they're going to look at stuff and do the things that are correct from a statistical perspective over the long haul. Now the problem is – and this is why we talk about one-score games being 50-50 propositions. The problem is it doesn't always work out. Right, just because you go for it on fourth down and one, and you make that eighty percent of the time, doesn't mean that you're the tw- doesn't mean you're not the twenty percent who get stuffed. Yep. And so we, I, I think, a couple of things you can do is probably quibble with play calls. You can quibble with, uh, you know, the opening one where they just sort of ran Richardson off tackle, and you go, all right, is that really the best play you got? But then you look at all the other ones they ran on fourth down. I mean, to have the stones to throw that ball deep to shorter yeah. on fourth and two from your own territory, it's like woo like when uh, when
1: that pass has really not been there all year
3: yeah well usually it's been three or four yards past right so that's again, what I'm saying. I, well it was a dime right i mean yeah. richardson threw a dime he trusted him to do it he did it and you know again i think napier sitting there going well geez we can't stop him anyway so whether we give it to him at our own 20 or whether we give it to him at their 20 doesn't really matter it's going to turn into a touchdown so what do i have to lose and uh well you know,
1: equation I, too yeah. And, and, uh, speaking of equation, and look, we'll we'll end it on this. But you know, we're we're a stars matter group here too, and it's like when you go and recruit five stars and five stars and five stars and highly rated four stars, and you have a top five class, and you don't win a national championship. Well, yeah, see there, uh huh. It doesn't work, you know. Well, no, no. Just because you didn't win with the five stars and four stars does not mean that's not the best path to go get a national championship. So, you know, you look look at it from a numbers perspective and just because it does not work out, you still go with it.
3: Well, it's funny because we started this episode talking about glass half full, glass half empty from this game. Certainly the loss is the glass half empty side of it where you say, God, it would have been really nice to get a win. Boy, would it have been nice to just stick that knife in the Tennessee fans back one more time and twist it, especially with a comeback like that would have been, right? At the same time, What this says, and I think that I don't think we should overlook this. What this says is that when Billy Napier says process, he means it. And so everyone who's been looking at it and going, well, you know, Mullen wasn't, the, what, he was great X's and O's, but he wasn't a good recruiter, and the program wasn't really set up from a process perspective to bring in recruits. When everyone looks at McIlwain and says sort of the same thing that he was, you know, there's been some talk about Muschamp and McIlwain being, being Saban clones, and oh, Napier's sort of the same guy. Napier's not the same guy. These guys did not do this. Right. These guys did not sit there and look and say, I have a process, I believe in it, I'm sticking to it, because I think it's the right thing to do. Now look, if you don't agree with Napier's process, then then let's have an argument about the process and the numbers and that sort of stuff, and look, you might be right, maybe we can have that discussion. I still think some of those fourth downs he went for against Kentucky, given the flow of the game and given some of these things that you see with the, with the win probability added, probably the second one especially, not necessarily the right decision, but... He has a process for making these decisions. And the fact that he follows that, you know, is music to my ears in terms of what you have to do to build a sustainable program. And so, look, they're two and two. There's no sugarcoating it. I mean, you'd much rather be three and one, four and oh. And after the Utah game, we were certainly thinking that might be where we could be. And so I get that people are disappointed. But if there's one thing I'm taking from this Tennessee game, it's that we have a coach who understands process, we have a coach who's going to stick to process. And so, What'll happen is, is if the recruits aren't highly rated enough, and if the result on the field isn't good enough, and if we don't see defensive breakdowns end, it won't be because he wasn't thorough, it'll be because he's not able to actually do the job, that his process doesn't work, and there'll be no doubt that you need to say, all right, it's time to move on to somebody new, um, but I, 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 this game, more than any other game so far, gives me confidence in Billy Napier and the Billy Napier era, Napier era and, and that's something that I'm taking from this game, certainly.
1: Sounds good. Sounds good. Will so Eastern Washington on the horizon here. I won't. Well, partly because of the hurricane coming, and I got to work news coverage there, so not much of a preview. There won't to be much of a pre- Eastern Washington preview anyway. So we'll see what's coming up uh, this week on Gators Breakdown. The schedule's kind of in flux the next few days. Uh, but what you guys got coming up at Reading Reaction?
3: Yeah, so it's obviously the first trimester's over. We're gonna. So I think we're gonna have a review. Nick and I will sort of go back and forth on an article that talks about the first four games and where we th- where we think that what we think that means for the for the program. Um, no Eastern Washington preview. There'll be a pick, but no no yeah. no preview. I am gonna take a closer look at the defense. I think it's important to take a look and say what what do we want to see. What does Florida do? We talked about the identity. What what do we what do we think the identity should be? And then, again, if we're talking about process, what's the process as that identity gets forged? Um, and so what should you be looking for? Or What do I think that Billy Napier should be doing with that defense as, as things move forward the next couple of weeks? So um, those will be the two things I think that will be up there this week.
1: There we go. ReadReaction.com. You can follow Will on Twitter as well at Will Miles SCC. That'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.